Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. I was uh, stationed in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I'm pretty sure it was 98. I probably should have looked it up. I don't know. It was 1998. I lived in a trailer outside of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I didn't want to live on base, so I moved out there, found this awesome single wide that was just like just right. It was perfect for my family and I. And I, I loved it. I loved going off base, not being in uniform all the time, being able to live out there. Well, one of the things that was warned to me was that uh, we have hurricanes here in North Carolina, and you might want to consider whether or not you want to live in a trailer. I didn't care. Because I was, I was going to say I was a Marine. I was a sailor attached to a Marine Corps unit. All we did was, I don't even want to go there. I knew better. I was invincible. There was no way that I was going to get hurt. Sort of that young 20-something sense, you know, that we also often, especially as boys, have. So there's this hurricane that comes up in the Atlantic, and I see it 10 days ahead. And as it's getting closer and closer, my anticipation is building. I'm waiting for this thing to come. I've never been in a hurricane like this before. I want to be in a hurricane. Everyone's like, pack your stuff up and go home. It's time to go away. Put the boards over your window. Nope, I'm going to ride this thing out. My wife is like, do you think maybe we should go back to Chicago for a little while? I said, it's fine. Do as I say. We're going to, I didn't say that. We're going to stay here. We're going to ride it out. I have my little boy, Daniel. He's 25 now. He was only, I think, probably one or two at the time, two years old. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So the hurricane's coming. Everything shuts down. All of Jacksonville, North Carolina shuts down, and I'm watching the TV. And the colors are getting redder and redder and redder. Pretty soon, they're becoming colors of purple that I didn't even know existed until pretty soon there were spots of black on the radar, okay? And it's coming directly for my trailer. All right. (laughs) I second-guessed myself at that point and thought maybe it wasn't a good idea, but it was too late. We were stuck, so we had to ride it out. And as the storm got closer and closer, the winds began to build. Things began to be more and more serious. The whole trailer was shaking. You know, the dangerous thing about hurricanes is not just the wind, because the wind's not that bad. They spawn tornadoes, and the tornadoes are everywhere. We know about tornadoes and trailers, okay? We know that somehow they always seem to find each other, and that was my fear, that something was going to happen. And now it's coming to me. Oh my gosh, I have my wife and my kid here in this trailer and I decided to stay and the thing feels like it's coming off the cinder blocks. It feels like the whole trailer is going to come apart. What do I do? The scary thing is I look back on it. I wasn't even a believer. What was I hoping in? I just hope this doesn't happen. I just hope that nothing happens to me and my family. Life can feel like that. When we are not hoping in Jesus, life can feel like the homes of our hearts are being torn apart at their seams. 
There's chaoses in our life and winds of life and struggles of life that seem to throw us off our foundation. I want to warn you that today is the last uh, message on our wilderness experiences, and this is one that may be the most important of them all. This one tells us how do we weather the storms of life? What is it that we see? What is it that we do when we're in a wilderness situation that allows it to be a time of growth? Because I got to tell you, I learned the next time a hurricane came, go, go. Many of us get out there in the storms again and again. We end up thinking each time, I'll handle it better this time. I'll stay again. Instead of looking to God and listening to his word and trusting in Christ amid our storms and being changed by our times in the wilderness, being protected in our times in the wilderness. So today, we are going to be in Psalm 63. This is a Psalm of David. If you have your Bible, please uh, take it out. You're definitely going to want to go through uh, with me. If you don't have your Bible, pay attention up here on the screen. We have the text. It's going to be important for you to follow along. Psalm 63. If you look at this passage, this psalm, and you'll notice this in a lot of the psalms. As you read psalms, there'll be a notation that's often done in a different font at the top. So this one says, when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Okay? As Christians, particularly as Protestants, we look at these notations and we believe that they were added later. And that these little notations don't hold the same biblical weight as the rest of the scripture. My take is, is that they've been there for a long time that God continues to progress in his revelation, and we may want to give them more weight than what we normally have in the past, okay? And so when we're looking at Psalms that have these notes, it's important to read the circumstances because to understand what's being written by David or by the author, we need to know the context for which it was written. It lends weight and deeper meaning to what it is that we are reading about. Now, this one says, David's in the wilderness of Judah. That's kind of a very general statement. As we go through the Old Testament, we see that there are two times when David was primarily in the wilderness, when he was running. The first is when he was fleeing from Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. He acted a fool. God said, no more. I'm putting my spirit now upon David. David will be the new king. Saul didn't like that. Saul wanted to create a dynasty for his family. Jonathan, his son, the commander of armies, would be the next king. And so he hunted down David. And David ran and hid. And there's chapter after chapter of David fleeing from the ire of Saul. The other opportunity that this could be about, or the other time this could be about, is when David is fleeing Absalom. Absalom is actually his child and decides that I can do better than my dad and that he is going to seek to usurp the throne of Israel. One is before David has been installed as king, one is after David has been installed as king. I guess there's a little, te- <laughs> little lesson there. Don't think if you get a certain thing that life's going to get any easier. Sometimes it gets worse. Before, it was just a guy seeking to kill him. Now it's his own kid. So we can imagine the struggle that David, in either sense, must be feeling. Hiding in a cave, in the wilderness, as these storms swirl around him in his life. And how God seeks to protect him in it. So look at verse 1. David says, amid his storm, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's a great lesson here. Listen to David's heart. Listen to how he's pouring himself out. We need to do that. This is a really important piece in our wilderness. Confess your dependence upon God alone. Confess to speak the truth about your dependence upon God and who he is in your life and his power, not your own. David earnestly seeks God. He's desperate. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever been brought to a place where there's nothing you can do? Part of the Christian life is learning how to get to that place quickly. Part of living the Christian life is once you're there, staying there. In recognizing that because we are creatures, God is our creator, we live in a world that's way too complicated for us. Why? Because of sin, the world's, and our own. We cannot control circumstances. Think about the prayers that went up a couple nights ago in Mississippi. Desperate. Desperate. Why do we not need God so badly? Do you ever consider that? There's times when I'm really honest in my heart and, there's, and it ebbs and flows. I think you can relate to this. There are times where our dependence upon God is so obvious. Lord, I need you now. We sang it today. Lord, I need you. And there's other times when we're really honest. I could sort of take it or leave it. That apathy, that sin creates in our heart to think that we can depend upon ourselves after all the evidence in our lives has demonstrated otherwise. We're not looking. We're not desperate enough. We're not responding. I think there's a few reasons. One is we're seeking our satisfaction elsewhere. We're seeking our our wellness, our peace, our health in things other than God. Why? Because we believe the lie that they can deliver. We believe if I have more money, I'll have less problems. We believe that if I were only well, God could use me for ministry. We believe that if my kids were doing what I want, that my life would be easier. Maybe that one's a little bit different. But I kid, but it's true. I was in a session the other day with a group of other pastors. We're meeting as a small group. We're trying very, very hard to be honest and vulnerable with one another. Because being a pastor can be hard in this regard specifically. And I was sharing in this moment and I said the sentence, you ever confess a sentence and before you say it out loud, you realize how crazy it sounds? I was at a moment right there. And I talk about my family and my kids all the time and I said, if my kids only did what I want. (laughs) And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, Two by four, point it out. See what you're doing there. It's all about you. You're controlling. It's not about you. Dependence on God, not dependence on you, nor the behavior of your family or behavior of anyone around you. It's God. God's got them. God's got your child. Don't rely on your own strength, your own skill, or their own ability to say yes or no. We look to their behavior and we say, or to the people around us, and we say, if they only did this, We feel so out of control, don't you? I feel so out of control sometimes. So what do we do? Do we try harder to grab it or do we depend on God and seek everything we need in him? 
Or we don't think satisfaction is even possible. We might say, this is as good as it gets. I'm struggling in my life. I guess this is just life. I guess this is just it. And we stay stuck. We place things in higher esteem than the things of God. I could obey God. I could depend on God. But that's going to have some implications for my life. I may have to look different, dress different, think different, speak different, spend different, hope different. So what do we do? How do we cultivate a deeper hunger for God? How do we come to this world and our problems with David's words? Lord, I earnestly seek you. My soul faints for you. One is we just stop living. We stop feeding off of the things of this world. Growing up, I'd often hear, and I'm positive you did too, you'll spoil your dinner. You'll spoil your dinner. We seek candy in this world. And by the time it comes to actually feed on the Lord, we're full. So we're not hungry. We don't set goals big enough, large enough to say, Lord, it has to be you. We need to stop eating candy and look to God for his perfect bread of life. We pray for it. Because I don't know about you, I can't muster this up. I can't make myself feel this way. It has to be God. Lord, renew in me a clean heart and restore the joy of my salvation, as David says. Lord, you have to make me hungry. Lord, you have to take these things out of my life. It's got to be you by your grace. Because if it's left to me, I'm eating candy. And we get into the habit of feeding on God. I'm convinced that many of us do not continue to feed on the Lord, to look to him in faith and obedience because we're not used to it. We'll do it for a day or two and then we stop. Everyone at the house wants me to eat vegetables. I don't know why everyone in the house wants me to eat vegetables. You need more vegetables. You need more vegetables. I hate vegetables. So they're bringing me evidence that I should just eat vegetables. Shannon brought me this thing the other day. See, if you eat vegetables for nine days, it changes the way you eat them. So just go ahead and eat them. She's right. She's right. Same thing in our spiritual lives. As we generate a habit of looking to God first and to the world second, we begin to grow an appetite. And when we take it away, those of you, those of you who do devotions every day, no matter what, what happens on the days that you miss? Everything feels off. It's because the Lord has worked through you to create a pattern of trusting in him, of dependence. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So what do we do? We pray, we stop feeding on candy, and we come and believe. We come to Jesus and believe. Consider your hearts. What's preventing your coming and believing amid your storm and in your wilderness as you see your circumstances swirling around you? Maybe it's pride. I don't need help. I can, I can figure this out on my own. Maybe coming to the Lord in weakness is an uncomfortable feeling because it's a recognition that you really don't have control. 
Maybe it's fear that the Lord will say no, or you don't know if you can trust him. He wants you to trust him. Or maybe it's self-righteousness. Our ever-present danger, I can do it myself. And then I want credit (laughs) after I've done it. God is calling you to submit your will and your life to him. He's trustworthy and desires to be with you in your storm, protecting you and caring for you amid the chaos. I thank God for his will upon my life today. And then that day, 1998, he protected and cared for me, even though I did not recognize him. I can look back and say God was there. I didn't call his name one time. God was there. Now today in my storms, I do my best to run towards him, to call to him, to trust in him, to rely on him. Some days more quickly than others. You see, David's on the lookout for God. He's in the desert searching earnestly for God. What are we looking for in our desert? What are we looking for in our wilderness? We're looking for the cessation of pain. Whereas God wants you to look for him. It's one of the big struggles with secular counseling. I think I said this last week is the outcome of counseling, secular counseling is the cessation of pain. How can we make you feel better? What God wants for us is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And guess what? He does it through wilderness experience. He does it through struggle. David's looking for God. Look what he says in verse 2. So, as a result, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Hunted by his son. Hunted by the king who wants to take him away and kill him for the threat that he poses to the throne. I will bless your name. Number two, worship God for who he is, not just what he can do. Blessed be, the song we sang, blessed be your name. If you look at the lyrics, it talks about, I'm going to bless your name when things are great. I'm going to bless your name when things are bad. I was sitting here singing these songs. I was thinking, man, if we only lived what we sang, I wouldn't have a job anymore. I sing these things. And as I'm singing them, I'm thinking to myself, is this real? Do I really believe this? I'm going to sing it anyway. How would our lives look different if we worshiped God and looked at God for who he is instead of our heavenly Santa, what he can do for us? David's response to his hunger and thirst for God is to look to God upon his sanctuary. Now, this does not mean, I don't believe, this does not mean that David at some point in time had looked upon God in his glory in the tabernacle. I believe that this is David looking with spiritual eyes to God in the heavens, like God revealing himself to Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Isaiah beheld the Lord and he was high and exalted and lifted up. He saw the weight and majesty of God. A word here is used, hazah. It means to prophetically see, to behold God in his glory. To see with perception, to look and say, no, I know that God is this. And because God has this character, majesty and power and love, that I can trust in the wilderness that I am safe. 
and in doing so, growing into the image of his son more and more each day. David looks upon God in faith and sees two primary attributes. He sees his majesty, God's glory, and God's power. God has all power. All power comes from God. God is holy. He's high and exalted, separate, perfect, and righteous in his character. God is weighty. The word glory in the Old Testament is chavod. It means weight, weight. And because of that weightiness, we can trust in him. There's this, it's so interesting when we look at creation that we can see evidence of God, metaphorically and very literally. One of them is, is and I love this, is the idea that Earth is sitting basically in the middle of an asteroid belt. Earth should look like the moon. Have you ever seen the moon? The moon's barren, bunch of craters. There's nothing that lives on the earth, but the earth does not look like the moon. The earth looks like a big blue ball, beautiful, mostly. Fl- Did you know the earth is smoother than a racquetball? Like if you held a racquetball up and looked at the surface, that is how smooth the earth actually is. It's amazing, these kinds of things. There's a reason that we don't look like the moon. We do not look like the moon because of Jupiter. Jupiter. Jupiter's mass is so heavy, it's so weighty, that when an asteroid's coming for the Earth, the gravity of Jupiter pulls it off. And it crashes into Jupiter or goes flinging off into space. This is what it's like to trust God in the wilderness. Amid the struggle, amidst the coming asteroids in our life, trusting that God and his weight, because he is weighty, chavod, he's high and lifted in majesty, When we trust in that, he protects us. He diverts us from the things that seek to destroy us. He diverts those things from us. Living like this is revolutionary for our lives. It changes our perspective. Our problems look pretty small in comparison to the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth by the breath of his lungs and controls everything in the palm of his hand, doesn't it? How am I going to pay this bill? Understanding God's majesty in the wilderness can also give us not only perspective, but motivation. If God is for me and this is who I'm speaking about, who can be against me? If God has all weight and power in this world, why do I fear man? Why do I fear circumstances? Why do I even fear death? The one who's conquered it is on my side. And he will bring me safely into glory. Our problems shrink in the light of God's majesty and power. But perhaps more importantly, (laughs) we shrink in the presence of God's majesty and power. An ever-present danger in the life of a sinful person, namely everybody, is that we get too big for our britches. We think we have more control, power. We think we know better than God. Understanding God, perceiving God by faith in his holy temple shows us as creator, we are creatures. Creatures. Left alone, to this idea alone, though is dangerous. If we don't hold this truth in tension with the fact that God loves us, with an undying, burning, forever love, the distance between us and God grows. So David points out 
Your steadfast love is better than life. Think about those words. I would rather die than not feel God's love in my life. Think about that. I would rather die than to not have God love me. This is how David views God, majestic and loving. David exalts God for his love, focusing on all the power all the time, like I said, leads to a sense of distance and even coldness when we consider God. There's a theological principle here. It's the principle of God's imminence versus God's transcendence. God's imminence means that God is in me, that God is intimately with me, that God is within the creation. Transcendence means that God is high and above, separate and other than his creation. And the Bible teach both. Some of us tend to focus on one or the other. Some of us are all imminent all the time. God is with me, it's to all intimacy, my secret place, spiritual formation. These, and that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I lean. God is also transcendent, and some of you have definitely a greater view of God and his majesty. Thank God that we have each other, because we need both. We must hold them in tension. And let me tell you, the one that you're less drawn to is the one God wants you to focus on. We need to see God and his intimacy with us, his tremendous love, but also his power. God loves us so much, even in our wilderness, that he often chooses to leave us there. Because remember, God's ultimate goal in our life is to conform us into the image of Christ. That confirmation into the image of Christ, our being made like Christ is done through pain and suffering very frequently. And so when we can trust God amid our wilderness and say, oh, this hurts, oh, this suffering's bad, and trust that I'm being changed, that we're being changed, in the wilderness, the more we can embrace the lessons that he has given us, the more that we can embrace the change that he wants in our life, and the more we realize that our ultimate goal is not to get out of the wilderness. It's to trust God in it. David looks to God and worships amid fleeing for his life, and he doesn't allow his circumstances to dictate his views of God. Here he's being chased down by his own son, and he says, God's love is better than life itself. David never asked to be taken out of the wilderness, even amid his flight. In our wilderness, we often spend too much time asking God, Lord, take me out of this. Take me out of this. I don't want to feel this anymore. I can't go on. Take... When the truth is, is that God wants us there. So we need to focus on something. We focus on God. We focus on his character. We focus on God's love and we grow spiritually. Coming to terms and accepting God's will for our lives, even the wilderness that we're in, even the wilderness that shows no promise of ever going away is a continuous process. When we do it again and again, or even surround, how did I write this? I wrote this off. If you're in the wilderness, get comfortable. Get comfortable. Acceptance is the pathway. Realizing that I'm here for a reason can totally transform the way you view your wilderness. It will totally transform you 
because that's what God is seeking to do. Because David perceived God's majesty and love by faith, he was able to worship in it, and so have others. Think about it. Abraham, a wanderer without a land, being taken from his home, he worshiped whenever he went. Wherever he stopped, boom, built an altar, worshiped God. David, his firstborn son, died. What does he do? Gets up, washes his face, worships God. Got one better, Job. He gets news that all of his wealth is gone. His whole family has been annihilated. Worships. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Michael, I appreciate your picking on music for because you hit a bunch of points today. Jacob Mesher. Good job, Jacob Mesher. <laughs> Jacob Mesher. God giveth, God taketh away. In my wilderness, I'm going to worship. I'm going to trust in him. Paul, one dear to my heart, sang hymns while in prison unjustly, yet he was able to cry out and sing to God so that the jailer was converted, worshiping in the wilderness. Accept a situation and worship the Lord in the face of struggle, and you will find ample reason to rejoice in him. And once the focus is off of you and on God, stay there. Stay there. How often we get some peace and then take it all away by trying to pick our life back up and doing it our way again. Look at verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat, and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This teaches us that we need to remain steadfastly focused on God, especially in the quiet moments. Especially in the quiet moments. David declares that he will be satisfied. He doesn't wait for the Lord to satisfy him. He says, I will be satisfied. He will seek satisfaction in God and that God is able to provide it. We can agree with David and we can push into this truth in a number of ways. One, we can just simply remember God. We all too often just don't remember. Life gets out of hand. We're all thinking about how we can crack this nut, how we can calculate this payment, how we can do this deal. In the end, God is there. Don't forget God. Don't forget God. Even down to setting yourself reminders. Phone goes off. God loves you, okay? Sticky notes on your mirror. Meditate on God. Remember God, meditate on God. I think meditation gets a wrong, uh, some people give a wrong idea of meditation, what it means. It's one thing to meditate and try to empty your mind and allow whatever happens, happens. It's another thing for biblical meditation. It comes from the word Hagah. Biblical meditation means to be muttering quietly under your lips. It means to be thinking and repeating to yourself the things and truths of God. Imagine you're reading, and as you're reading, you're sort of whispering out loud. That's the idea of meditation. That is allowing what's going in your eyes to come out your mouth and go back in your ears. Because the way God made us means that we have different areas of the brain that do different things. God wants us to be saturated on this. I have a friend who had um, a potential boyfriend come over to the house and they had other friends there. And this, this, this guy comes in and he, as soon as he gets there, he says, Can, do you have a bathroom? I need to use your bathroom. So he goes into the bathroom, and like 10 minutes later, he's still in the bathroom. We're like, what is he doing in there? You know what I mean? So now we start cracking jokes, and all the guys are going off, and this and that. 
And I made the joke, he's probably in there looking at himself in the mirror, talking it up. You got this, man. You can do this. You got this. It's funny, but we, don't, we need to do that. We need to talk to ourselves and say, God has got you. God loves you. God is powerful. You're a child of God. And to meditate on these things. I've walked into difficult situations and the whole time muttering, Lord's for against me, who can be against me? Lord's for me, who can be against me? Lord's for me, who can be against me? Tell yourself, listen to what it says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, Yahweh, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he mutters it day and night. God's word is always on this man's lips. And as a result, he's blessed. Blessed. Another little tidbit, the word blessed in this verse is different than the typical word blessed. The typical word blessed is baruch, baruch. This blessed is asharai. This is basically happy. Happy. We can rejoice in God. David says he will sing for joy. What we sing in our wilderness matters. How often we get into a wilderness and we turn on slow and sad music. Oh, I'm so pitiful. I need someone to be pitiful with me, so I'm going to put on, I'm trying to think of someone who I would put on. I don't know. What's going to make me sad? We can reinforce what's happening in our lives by adding more fuel to the fire. But David says he is going to sing for joy amid his wilderness. We have to fight the tendency to be ungrateful. <laughs> We have overinflated egos. I can say that as a basically blanket statement for all of us. All of us. We think we deserve to be happy. We were made to be unsatisfied. Did you know that? And only God can provide that satisfaction. And finally, cling to God. He says, I will cling to God. His right, his right hand upholds me. The same word here is husbands clinging to their wives. Cleave to their wives. Hold on. Velcro yourself to God. God, wherever you go, I'm going. Don't ever let go. And this word is said with the preposition. I will cling behind you. Imagine God walking and you're just like holding on. Wherever God goes, you go. And making that determination in your life, Lord, no matter where you take me, I'm going with. As we cling, God upholds. And David specifically calls out in the night watches and upon his bed. It's easy to do these things sometimes during the day when we're surrounded by other believers who are encouraging us to do it. People are texting us, hey, praying for you. Hey, trust God. Now others go to sleep. And we're stuck. Thinking. Worrying. Pondering. It's so easy to worry at night when we have nothing to distract us and no one there to keep telling us and pumping us up. And these times are the most vulnerable in our lives. More than once, David talks about this. There are studies that strongly suggest that what we read before we go to sleep sticks better than what we read during the day. So think about it. You're lying in bed worrying about what's happening, what's going on with my life, what might happen tomorrow. 
What do we do when we wake up the next day? That's the first thing ingrained in us. We're reinforcing these things. We're perpetuating it. But looking to God and his majesty, seeking his satisfaction and knowing his tremendous love for you can give you peace. This is what it's intended to do. No, I'm going to trust the Lord. No, I'm not going to go there. God's capable. God's going to do it. He allows his children to sleep in peace. Let's look at 9, verse 9. But those, so David's talked all about what he's going to do and what God's going to do for him. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king, this is David, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This teaches us, David's looking ahead. He's saying, I'm not always going to be here. This is what's going to happen with them and with me. So finally, number four, look to the future with hope and confidence, even in your wilderness. Life stinks right now. I'm in a lot of pain right now. I don't see any way out, but I know God is going to see me through. And then live like it. David turns to the destiny of those who seek his life. Because he knows God's character and God's promise that he would be protected, he knows that his situation will not last forever. And that's for us too. Our situations will not last forever. All too often we focus on the present pain and it just leads us to hopelessness and self-pity. But we have every reason to rejoice. We have every reason, even in the bad, because God is using it to make us like Christ and he's promised us a future. You know, I look at language like this. David's just exalted the glory of God and now it sounds like he's just ripping on his enemies, you know? What do we do with language like this? I think it's a couple of things are important to say. Jesus said to love our enemies, and there's several things to consider. We have enemies. There's, there's no question. We definitely have enemies in this world. One are spiritual. Satan, demons, spiritual warfare, they exist. I'm meeting with a group who has decided to go very, very deep and vulnerable, very deep with the intent of one day helping others do the same, and it feels like we're all being attacked all at the same time. That is not a coincidence. When we begin to live for Christ and when we begin to make difficult choices and we say no to the things of this world, be ready because the temptation's going to come. But when we stand against it, we will find peace on the other side. We have spiritual enemies. People, we, you know, they should never be our enemies. They're my enemy. But the truth is, is we are theirs. We can be theirs. We should seek peace with all men, but we will not always have it. And so people can be seeking to undermine us. People can be seeking to pull us off of the path of righteousness. And we can consider things as our enemies, evil, injustice, and death. Either way, considering the plight of our enemies should be done with the perspective of loving compassion. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, not what they do. But recognizing what their destiny is and remembering that we were there as well is powerful. It reminds us of where we would be apart from Christ and it thereby exalts God, giving us gratitude, hope, and confidence. He says, they're going to go to the pit, but the king shall rejoice. David remembers his identity 
He knows who he is. He knows. Absalom was trying to take the throne. Saul was trying to keep the throne. David was saying, I'm king. I'm king. God has called me king. I am king. Remembering who we really are in the wilderness. Who we, in the wilderness, we must remember who we really are in the present. We're beloved children of God because of Christ's work to redeem us. We will never be left or forsaken. We'll be conformed to the image of Christ and one day we will stand before God in confidence, bliss, and perfect joy. And he's promised it. He's promised it. Therefore, let us along with David rejoice in God our Savior amid the storm, amid the struggle, amid our circumstances, for he is mighty and loving. So confess your dependence on God alone. Worship God for who he is, not just what he can do. Remain steadfastly focused on God, especially in the quiet moments. And look to the future with hope and confidence. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are so many times that we find ourselves in situations that are so out of our control. In fact, life is out of our control, Lord. Lord, we pray that in our struggles, in the wildernesses that by your grace and by your sovereign hand have allowed us to be part of, we pray, Lord, that you would give us a perspective on who you are, your majesty, your exaltedness, your power in the face of our struggles. And indeed, love your great lo- and indeed, Lord, your great love for us that you demonstrated on the cross. We pray, Lord, that as we go day to day and as we seek to do your will, as life gets hard and we find ourselves alone and isolated, we find ourselves the object of attack. Lord, let us sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Let us look to you and your character, knowing that you will get us through and you have promised us a future, a good future, a perfect future in your presence where there's no sin, nor crying, no mourning, nor pain. Help us, Lord, to look to that day and help us, Lord, to trust you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.